Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. We are underway in Labor Day Classic. Leggio puts it up and he gets it for his biggest kick of the season. How did it feel watching your dad score on Labor Day, but for the other guys? It felt good. That's right. It is the waggle brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca. I'm Donovan Bennett. He is Enoch Womba. He is returning. Just stepped out of club dub with yeah. another win. So the, the smile is extra big. You see you it in case series. you don't. Yeah, look at that. Look at the pearly whites. Get a closer. The... Yeah, all right. <laughs> Back to regular schedule programming. For the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Three to one, uh, have now a, a two-game lead at the top of the East. He's feeling good. But we're, we're going to break down all of the games quickly. I know they happened a while ago, but Enoch wants to marinate in the OK Tire Labor Day weekend because it was so nice for him. And then we will turn the page and move forward in what will be another big week here in the CFL. We'll a couple return matchups, but all matchups uh, having some you know seeding and playoff implications. But let's start with the first one. Uh, last week, shall we, Enoch? Ottawa and Montreal. Uh, less than stellar performance uh, from uh, Trevor Harris. Completed 75% of his balls, but two costly turnovers, which has you know, been somewhat of the story. Uh, 10 interceptions on the air, 12 total turnovers. It, it, this is the fourth team that Trevor Harris has actually played on in a Labor Day weekend game. But this is the team that I feel needs him to play his best just to give them a shot. They lose to Ottawa, who now is back in the race with a shot. Um, you know, three wins uh, of late, and all three of them have come on the road. And so they say the season doesn't start until Labor Day. Ottawa literally listening to that because they're now back in it. Uh, just just uh, one game, you know, out of second. Uh, and, and six of their last seven are against the East. So they could be, uh, you know, determining their own uh, destiny. When, when you see... Montreal coming back to the pack and, and Ottawa obviously putting themselves back in the conversation uh, with Nick Arbuckle going off uh, with some family, you know, in the stands. Uh, what do you make of the, the first game we saw on Labor Day weekend? It was a good matchup. We talked about the potential future rivalry that we want to see kind of rise and, and become better and better. Um, you know, Ottawa took a step in the right direction. They know what's at stake. They know... Uh, they're playing for their coach, they're playing for their city, they're playing for that team, and really they're playing for their playoff hopes. And uh, to be honest with you, that was the most comfortable I'd seen Nick Arbuckle in a long time, really in any of the teams that you really mentioned that we've seen him play. Uh, he was extremely comfortable. Uh, he was moving the ball up and down the field. And, and as you mentioned, he had the support of his family in the stands. Um, but you know, he had some receivers that made some clutch catches for him. I think of the catch by um, Adams, and you know, I, I think it was like at the at the uh, near the end of the game, and Jalen Acklin really showed up for him. Not all the throws were extremely accurate, but this is why you have big time receivers like Jalen Acklin, and he did an amazing job of at times bailing out his quarterback and uh, gaining yards after the catch. So uh, it, it was amazing to see for the Ottawa. Uh, Red Blacks, and like you said, they're right back into the race, and uh, they know that uh, they have a shot now. They have a shot, and to be honest with you, I can see them 
building in confidence the more that they're playing. And that's what you really want to see if you're a Ottawa, Ottawa Red Blacks fan. Ackland went off. Career high, 159 yards. Uh, Arbuckle, you know, finally, this is what they were hoping to see from him in Ottawa. Remember, he was originally acquired by Ottawa uh, from Calgary January of 2020. That's how long ago uh, that was. Uh, since then, you know, he's had he's uh, been you know back and forth and is eight and eight now as a starter, but two and zero oh, uh, as a starter for the Red Blacks, which is all uh, they care about. Ottawa, maybe they finally can say it's too early, but maybe they could say this could be our guy. They've had five different starting QBs uh, since you know they acquired Arbuckle back then. They only had you know, four wins in those 23 games. So maybe they're looking for you know some solid play uh, at the quarterback position. I'm, I'm fascinated to see uh, what he looks like um, against you know probably a stiffer Tef defensively this week. But we'll get into that um, in, in a bit. Uh, let me ask you a theoretical question because I mentioned yes. Acklin going off for career high 159. You look at Lawler, the year that he's having. You know, catches, he's second. You know, targets, he's second. Receiving yards, he's tied for second. You know, TDs, he's tied for fourth. With the, the inconsistent quarterback play outside of Zach Caleros and the injuries at the quarterback position, uh, most notably Nathan Rourke, could we see a receiver be in the conversation by the end of the year for MOP, an Acklin, a Lawler? Or do you think ultimately it's going to be, uh, you know, the guys who touch the ball at every play? on offense, uh, a quarterback, or maybe even you know, could we see a, def- a defender make a run? It's, it's, it's always tough, right? Um, you know, we've seen, we've seen guys get really close, whether it's a defender or a receiver. Uh, but for that to happen, I believe, in my opinion, from what I've experienced and what I've seen over the years, it'll have to be one amazing record. So Winnipeg-type, Calgary-type record, so you have to have dominated that season, and you have to have had the amount of quarterbacks that Ottawa has gone uh, has gone through. But uh, as much as you know, they're finding their way, or they're trying to find their way in Ottawa. Uh, you know, you're seeing poise, and you're seeing a little bit of accuracy from Nick Arbuckle. Uh, it's kind of late for any receiver, and I don't see a receiver that stood out so special. Uh, that's been extremely special to kind of put him in that situation. So maybe another year, but I don't necessarily see that this year in particular, um, you know, when it comes to, if you're talking about MOP or uh, most valuable player um, outside of a quarterback. Well, I'm not going to talk too much about MOPs because the two guys I was caping for earlier in the year uh, got hurt. So I'll, I'll, I'll just leave the MOP analysis to you. Uh, now, when we go over to the, you know, the bigger games uh, on Labor Day weekend, obviously, you know, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg is one that everyone is often excited for. But that excitement was a bit muted uh, this year as, you know, it was a scary day, quite frankly, in the province of Saskatchewan, specifically uh, James Smith Cree Nation, where, um, you know, there were multiple stabbings, uh, multiple people found dead. Um, and at this current taping, uh, depending on when you're hearing this, uh, you know, the accused of that heinous crime, uh, one of the two of them is still at large while the other is deceased. And so it's not often, you know, when you're, you're going to a football game 
um, in Saskatchewan where, you know, you, you go to go through police stops and people are asking you who you are, uh, where are you going and, and telling you to be careful. So our thoughts and prayers, um, certainly with everyone, um, impacted and, and everyone in, in, in the province, uh, they did get around to playing some football and it was a pretty good game. Uh, but the bombers happened to spoil, uh, the proceedings in Saskatchewan. Not only did they win, they've already punched a ticket into this year's playoffs. And again, we say the season doesn't start until after Labor Day. Well, the Bombers are already in uh, the postseason. Uh, but to me, I think this this game was more about the Saskatchewan. Yes, Mark Leggio uh, you know, had a, hit a big kick to win it and, and was punting well. But when you look at some of the overarching issues with Saskatchewan in terms of discipline, this was a game right there to win it. Uh, questionable decision in terms of being a little bit more conservative in the field goal range, throwing the ball. Uh, and as you know, tips and overthrows, we got to get those on defense. Those are interceptions. Um, but Duke Williams, an unsportsmanlike penalty that killed the drive when he wasn't even dressed to play. Um, Garrett Marino with another dirty hit that wasn't flagged, but was the driving conversation uh, in social media after the fact. Cody Fajardo, who played a whale of a football game, but didn't have much protection uh, because of it, threw an interception late. Uh, when they were in field goal range and was pressured by uh, Willie uh, Jefferson. And then Craig Dickerson with a bad challenge. Um, You know, they had two time count penalties. It it seems like whether it's the off field stuff, the the stuff that's not in between the whistles or, you know, some of the antics with Duke Williams, there is an overall lack of institutional discipline that is keeping the riders from getting to the level that the talent on the depth chart says they have is 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 that a fair assessment for me from the outside looking in or 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 do you see it's a different one you're absolutely correct db uh from what i see there's a disciplinary issue out there in saskatchewan right we've seen that over and over again where there's penalties that end up hurting them uh in the long run for someone not to be dressed being on the sideline this tells me coach well You didn't go over some certain rules, specific rules, and and I love Coach Dickinson, but I'm sure uh, either he went over it and it wasn't wasn't adhered to, or he didn't go over it, and these are the results. But these are the reasons why sometimes you'll watch a game on TV and you'll see the guys that aren't dressed in a specific area right beside each other but just at a distance from the main uh from the from the main benches uh these are the reasons why and so for this to have happened it's it's sad and it's unfortunate because you know yes it's never really one play that affects a game but that hurt them in a really really bad way and for um this to come in a game where i thought uh fajardo had a really confident game um was pretty accurate most times he didn't do too much uh, and he was working with little to no protection at all against an extremely great defensive line in Winnipeg in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and so um, for him to have done what he did they did to me enough they had they, they did enough to win but obviously uh, uh, it's impossible to overcome the type of penalties and disciplinary issues that they that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had to go through at the end of the game in order to win. It's impossible. It's just too hard in this league to do that. And then let alone you're doing that against the defending champs who are, uh, oh, by the way, only lost one game this year. So uh, we've seen it so many times where Winnipeg 
is right there at the end of the game. They're close, and something happens to roll their way, and they end up coming up with the win. And so uh, for Saskatchewan to be so close, it's sad. It hurts. But, hey, look, after Labor Day, you know what happens. It's another rematch. But at the end of the day, that was a huge one that they know, they really know deep down, they really wanted to get. Yeah, Coach Dickinson, after the game, said that they'll be instituting a new policy in terms of where their non-dressed players uh, can and can't be and that they can't be on the sideline. To me, you're, you're, you're dealing with the symptom, not dealing with the issue. The issue is not whether or not you should be allowed to have players who aren't dressing on the sideline. The issue is that you should act a certain way when you're there. And I'm all for your guy makes a play, picking him up, hyping him up. But why are you talking to the other team? You're not dressing. Like, whatever you you're, you want to say, that guy you're talking to, he's has the ability to be on the field right now. He's earning his tech. You, you're not dressing, so you shouldn't really have anything to say to anybody who's playing. Uh, it, to me, it was an odd response in terms of what happened. Because, you know, whether it's a quarterback that's not dressing, we see Andrew Harris with one arm in a sling and the other arm taking notes and charting plays. Like, there could be a real value add to someone who's had great experience, spent time in the National Football League, has been really impactful in this league. He can help some of those younger receivers and say, hey, when you have cut on the boundary side, this is where your steps need to be. This is where your eyes need to be. Um, and so I thought it was, a, you know, an odd response. And in terms of responses, it was an all-night fight uh, between Riders fans and the rest of the world on whether or not Garrett Marino's hit was dirty, I would say this. If Zach Caleros, given his health issues, was still a Saskatchewan Rough Rider quarterback, and your quarterback, marquee player in the league, uh, MOP, Great Cup MVP, was hit like that, you would think it's dirty. Like, we need to – I know people say, you know, quarterbacks are football players too, um, but a peel back block on anyone who's not looking and not in the play um, is, by definition, dirty. So – the fact that it wasn't penalized doesn't mean that it was clean. It just means that it wasn't seen. So hopefully we can um, we can clean plays like that out of the game. Because, again, I'm not a defender. Um, you know the, the defensive side more than anyone. But um, it, it, you're in that scenario, you're playing the jet sweep coming to your side. Uh, and then you should be going down the line looking for a cutback. You're not thinking, oh, the quarterback might block me when he's not looking at me. I'm going to take my shot and blow him up. But that, that, that's, that's just me. That's yeah, me. yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'm sure, you know, uh, Marino was probably going to give an excuse that he didn't know or wasn't sure that, uh, you know, Kolaris had the ball. Um, but at the end of the day, listen, especially with the history, he just has to be careful. Every step he takes is going to be analyzed um, and under a microscope. So really it's up to him to decide which direction his career is going to take going forward. Um, but at this very moment, if I were him, I'd be careful with every single play that, you know, that I make. Obviously, you still want to play hard, but I take every precaution necessary. And if it, if you think it's not worth it, if you think – it's um, going to be a penalty. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah, and then tweeting at the end of the game, antagonizing the scenario, talking about the fact that you haven't been penalized since you've been back. When you've been fined since you've been back, it's not smart. Like, you know, the criminal doesn't go on social media and say, hey, the cops haven't caught me yet. No I'm business doing, doing that. Work. There's no business doing that. Yeah, so 
it's not you're not you're not helping um someone eventually got to him and he deleted it but it wasn't wise uh it's, speaking of you know, you know putting yourself in positions that are smart zach claros on labor day no matter where he's been outstanding six and oh 69.3 completion percentage 1785 yards 13 tds three imts when when the this lights are the brightest you know he he shows out and and actually you know i, I know we're previewing the games but i i want to get to your perspective on zach's career in relation to overall across the league we are having maybe a, a downswing in terms of quarterbacks. A lot of guys struggling, a lot of guys struggling with consistency. We, we saw a golden age that has just left. And I think Zach's career is instructive because in Hamilton, he was great, but the label was couldn't win the big game, lost multiple, you know, great cups. You know, then he goes to Saskatchewan in between Hamilton and Saskatchewan, can't stay healthy. You know, he's not durable enough to be a starter. Gets to Winnipeg, all he does is plays best football in the biggest games, and stay on the field. Quarterbacks around him are dropping like flies. He's been healthy. I say that to say there's some young quarterbacks in a rut struggling. You could look at Zach's career and say, man, like if I go through the process, I'm process-oriented and I'm not worrying about the highs and the lows of this given moment, I can get to a level where I'm the star of the game. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's not only true for quarterbacks. It's true for, obviously, you know, all, all 12 guys uh, on the field. But I think he's a great example um, staying, you know, to your principles and eventually, you know, um, just getting a, you know, a run of, of, of good luck. So definitely we're, we're giving him his flowers um, uh, and, until obviously Enoch has to play the Bombers again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he, exactly what you said, I agree completely. Uh, you know, the type of, of career that he's had, the, the ups, the downs, you know, the lows. And I'm sure that, um, actually, I remember there was some point where, you know, people were saying he's, his career is over. And so for him to have had the resilience and uh, to, to, to continue to fight on and to believe and to continue to, 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 to work behind the scenes, there's a lot of work that, you know, uh, is not documented, is not seen. And uh, beyond that, too, you have to be so strong mentally, right? I always tell people, man, like in football, people always think it's such a physical game, which it is. It's such a violent game, which it is. But at the end of the day, the biggest fight happens uh, shoulders up. And so, um, you know, kudos to Zach having gone through the injuries that he's had, the uh, concussion issues that he, he, you know, he's had over the years as well. And to, for him to be, you know, situated on a team that is doing so well, really well built, uh, has a great foundation, um, you know, great leadership around, all the way around, and to be where he is, and playing, like you said, the best football. And, and, and what, what, what I think is amazing to see, and I think obviously he's fortunate to be in a situation like that, is that he doesn't always have to play his best football. Don't get me wrong, he plays, he's playing his, his best football. I, I had a conversation with Juwan Breskison and Matt Black actually a few days ago just about this, you know, uh, and, and I thought that he's doing a great job. He's doing enough to win. Um, but the beauty of the position that he's in is he doesn't always have to be the hero. He doesn't always have to be, have a perfect game in order for him to win. And so that in and of itself is a blessing. No doubt. Two teams he's played for. The Toronto Argonauts and the Hamilton Tiger Cats did battle uh, once again. And the Argos, your Argos, they get their first Labor Day win at Tim Hortons Field. They end the streak that the Ticats had 
winning Labor Day games. They had won seven straight coming in. And, man, we'll get to the Hamilton Tiger Cats and their issues in a second and what scenario they are now find themselves in with back-to-back losses to your Argonauts. But, I mean, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Speedy B, with little Speedy B Jr. on the sideline? Not only did he play well, first time with a rushing TD and uh, receiving TD in the same Labor Day Classic game. He goes home and just gives him a little, just give him a little wave, just give him a little remember me. Um, or Jamal Peters, who has five, count them, five of them things in, two in the last two games. Listen, for some people, five is a great season. Five great will get season. you paid as a great season. For some people, you'll be happy if you have five in your career. He has five in two weeks. In between paychecks, he had five. Now, if I'm his agent, I'm saying, can we renegotiate right now? Uh, because the Tiger Cats are getting him paid. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to start with Jamal and his big day or Brandon Banks and his big day? Let's start with Speedy B and end on the defense. But Speedy D has what he, – he had one of those games, right? He was comfortable. Uh, he wanted it bad, and you could see it, right? Um, he had his son around, uh, you know, around us all practice and all week of practice, sorry. And it, it was really amazing to see. And then he was sharing with us that, you know, it's not easy and being a single uh, father – uh, it made him feel extremely comfortable, the fact that we were able to welcome him onto the team, but also just welcome and made it, make, made his son feel extremely comfortable. I mean, he was in meetings with us. Uh, he was at practice with us, catching balls, helping him out, helping out as much as he can. And uh, for him to have been able to witness this game on the sideline um, the way that he did, and he got to know each and every single one of us, and for him to have witnessed that game and witnessed that type of game uh, from his own father, uh, it was amazing to see. And Speedy was being Speedy last night. We talk about the chemistry that's developing between Mac and Speedy B. It's something scary. And the more they play together, the more chem- the chemistry is going to get better and better and better. Not to forget the fact that there are other weapons that is only going to make this whole offense that we have in Toronto here uh, lethal. And so I'm excited to see where the direction that this offense is going to go. And, uh, you know, if Speedy B gets hot, it's going to be a problem for the rest of the league, DB. Well, I mean, what was a problem for Hamilton was that uh, Speedy B had a short field every time he ran on the field because uh, <laughs> the defense continued to take that ball away. He's a better parent than me, though, because I'll tell you, I know, like, in some industries, bring your kid to work day is a thing, and that's nice and that's cute if you, you know, in an air-conditioned, you know, cubicle. But I know when, when – I'm leaving the house with my kid. It's like, okay, do I have a change of clothes in case something happens? Do I have snacks? Do I have water? Do I have iPad? All this stuff. And then when I'm out with them, it's like, did you say please? Did you say thank you? Right? Like, So he's doing work to face his former team. Obviously, he was prepared because he played well. And he's parenting at the same time. So you know, kudos to you, Speedy B, because that's, that's just too much pressure. I, I, I struggle when it's just one-on-one. Uh, coverage with, with my kid. Never mind. You know, I got to beat one-on-one coverage and parent my kids. So shout out to him. Um, you know, so no one is beating one-on-one coverage uh, when Jamal Peters is in the area. And quite frankly, when he's uh, hitting his zone landmark, evidently Tiger Cats think he's an intended receiver. They keep hitting him in the numbers with passes. Um, you know, he had a big day, but also there was a couple drops on that defense. There could have been a couple more INTs. Talk to me about uh, the effort, you know, 
led by Jamal and company. And, and you got home as well. I want to give you your kudos um, with a nice little ankle sack. Uh, another big day by the defense. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we, we still felt like, like you said, there was a couple of balls that we, we, we should have caught that were dropped. And, and, and when I think back as well, there was a couple of opportunities to have sacks that we kind of uh, left on the field out there. So, yes, you want to look at that and tell ourselves that, hey, look, we've got to do better. But the beauty of it is it was an amazing performance. And the fact that we still have room to grow is what makes me excited about where we're headed as a defense, as a unit, and as a team. And so you look at a guy like Jamal Peters, who just seems to be at the right place at the right time every single time. I mean, there were tip balls this week. It wasn't necessarily just him jumping uh, a route and, ca- and, and intercepting the ball. He was just at the right place at the right time, and he does his job. And I want to make sure I mention, I think I said this last week as well, he doesn't just intercept balls. If you really look at the whole body of work that he does as a cornerback, and I tell him this since the beginning of training camp, I was telling him, hey, Petey, listen, I'm going to get you in a package where you're a linebacker. This guy is a physical specimen, DB. Um, he's about 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, he can run like the wind, and he is extremely physical. We are comfortable sending him on blitzes. We've seen him take on blockers. We've seen him take on offensive linemen and make plays in the backfield. Look up how many uh, TFL he has. It's not because he just ends up blitzing. It's because he's instinctive, and he also is extremely physical enough to go and get that rock. And so, um, you know, it's one of those guys that we're extremely happy to have on our side, but he's just a special, very very special young man, and I'm, I couldn't be more happy that he's having the type of career that he's having at this very moment. Yeah, TFLs for the uh, uninitiated tackles for a loss. And when you look at his pedigree, you know, coming out of high school, he was one of the top-rated players in the state of Mississippi. So he's been real for a long time. We're seeing it on the CFL level. Hamilton, though, uh, they have some real struggles. Uh, they've given up more points off turnovers than anybody in the league, and we saw – Another reason why they lost this game was it was the turnovers, but the points they gave up right off of them. Uh, a big reason for that is Tommy Condell now working with you know his fourth different QB this year. Haven't really seen much consistency from the position, and they're going to need to find it fast because they haven't missed the playoffs since 2017. And the way the West is looking, there might be three teams fighting for that second and last spot in the East uh, if a team does cross over. Uh, Hamilton has the bye, so they have a chance to regroup uh, and, and move forward. Uh, and, and I don't know if there's a team that has lost more man games to injury than Hamilton. Obviously, Schilt's out, uh, Simone Lawrence out, a couple offensive linemen out. Uh, but it's getting late fast. What, what was your read of uh, the, the Tiger Cats and, and – really a, a, a somewhat stunned, uh, you know, sellout crowd in Hamilton. I mean, we went in there knowing that, you know, there was blood in the water. And so we wanted to go in for the kill. Uh, at the end of the day, what you're saying is absolutely true. They don't have any consistency at the quarterback position. You know, they are not exactly uh, super stout up front either. Uh, they have injuries up front in the front, uh, you know, at, at the offensive line. They just had a trade. They brought Baird in from uh, Edmonton. 
um, to shore up their front. But he was in there and he didn't really know what he was doing. I mean, I was doing everything that I could because I could tell they were kind of trying to tell him, okay, on this play, you got to do this, you got to take that. And I was trying to gather as much information as possible while they were doing that. Uh, just a little vet trick that I've picked up along the way. But you can tell that they're trying to figure out who they want to put up up front. Uh, but it's always hard to try and establish an offense when you're not sure and you don't have your confidence or full confidence in your quarterback. That's the man in the middle. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks back as well, DB. It's a fine line between, hey, I'm sticking with my guy or I'm bringing on the next guy. And that is what I think perhaps this may fall not just solely on uh, Dane Evans' shoulder. Maybe it is also on Orlando Steinauer, on management out there in Hamilton. Did they give up on Dane Evans too soon? Did they uh, not allow him to get comfortable, go through the growing pains um, that is being the starting quarterback? Really, this is his first year doing so. And so – uh, that is definitely a question that somebody has to answer over there in Hamilton. And now they've opened up the floodgates now because, you know, they started three other quarterbacks outside of Dane Evans. And for him, for them to go back to Dane Evans, you can only wonder and think, you know, where is his confidence at right now? Does he even think that anybody in that, belie- in that building believes in him? And so it's a, it's a fine line doing that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I don't think they were too happy with the quarterbacks that they put on the field, you know, uh, on Labor Day against the Toronto Argonauts. And so it's going to be something that they're going to have to figure out right now because, like like you said, that race for second place, third place is getting extremely heated in the Eastern Conference. I think Dane Evans gives them the highest ceiling when he's healthy um, and when he's clear-headed. Listen, this guy led them up the tunnel. Not to one, to two Grey Cups. He was the starter. So I think sometimes, you know, when there has been some struggles, um, you know, we, we can have a bit of uh, amnesia and forget, you know, the level that someone can play at. It, now, it, what we've seen in Calgary as we, you know, go over to the Battle of Alberta and Edmonton and Calgary is a turning of the page and saying Jake Mayer, not only is he playing well right now, he theoretically could get us to a higher level moving forward. And so we're going to make a move with Bowley by Mitchell. Uh, they stuck with Jake Mayer, even though he struggled uh, in the first half and, and gave him a long leash. And that ended up uh, paying dividends as, as Edmonton uh, loses once again to Calgary. Edmonton now 3-4 and four on the road, 0-5 at home. They've lost five of their last six. Just when we thought maybe they were turning the page, they've struggled. Uh, Taylor Cornelius... Uh, now with the second worst completion percentage in the league among qualified starters. So I don't know for sure if we can say uh, from now on, it's no longer Bo Levi Mitchell and Mike Rowley. It will be Jake Mayer and Taylor Cornelius for the foreseeable future on, on Labor Day contest. I, I, I don't think both teams have found uh, their next quarterback, but, but Calgary, I think, you know, probably happy what they saw, you know, when Mayer struggled for the first time and, and allowing him to get himself out of the jam and, and defensively they kept him in it. Jameer Thurman, 10 tackles a sack. Uh, Cameron Judge, who you played alongside with, uh, has got his game back, you know, uh, to a high level. Uh, and that Calgary defense looks like it's a real force once again. Absolutely. That Calgary defense is playing at a really high level, uh, led by Thurman and Cam Judge are doing a great job of just disrupting 
being extremely active and physical. And so that in and of itself, I knew going into that game, Edmonton was going to have a hard time offensively. And um, that's exactly what happened out there. And then you look at the Jake Mayer situation and the Bo Levi Mitchell as well, and just finished talking about it. It's that fine line, but also, are you going to give that confidence in the guy that's on the field right now? And I think that Jake, regardless of what happens on the field, he can sit back, relax, process the things that are going on and try and become a better quarterback and try and learn. But at the end of the day, I do believe that the front office out there in Calgary is just investing in Jake Mayer and hoping that they're going to get a return on this this investment down the road. Well, we'll see uh, because uh, those two teams will play each other once again this week. It's the last game of the week, but let's start the beginning of the week. Two teams in second place needing a win to hold on to that second place position as there is some more competition you know, up the rear. BC going to Montreal, and of course, Vernon Adams Jr. first game with uh, the orange and black is against his former team in Montreal. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the Friday game that goes at 7.30 p.m. Eastern? Well, first, uh, who's going to be starting for them um, in, in BC out there? And obviously, a lot of times when you see a, a, a player get traded like that, you know there's a, an added level of motivation uh, on their part. And so... Uh, Perhaps the coaching staff in BC, it might be too soon, will allow, you know, VA to get on the field and, and let his frustration out uh, out there on the field. And so I want to see what happens in, in that department. But at the end of the day, hey, look, BC is trying to hold on to the position out there in the West. It's a tough, obviously, division to play in. But they, are, they need to bow up and they need to start playing the best football that they can, even in the absence of their leader at the begin, uh, since the beginning of the season. Now... Montreal as well knows exactly what needs to happen or what they got to do in order to continue to uh, to come closer and closer to that not to, to that number one position in the Eastern Conference. And so it's going to be an exciting game. Both teams on each in each division have a lot at stake, and uh, it's going to be a battle that uh, is going to be very entertaining. Well, I'm hoping the next one's an entertaining battle. Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, your Toronto Argonauts go to Ottawa. Last time you faced Ottawa, Ottawa got their first one of the year. I said before it might be a trap game. It certainly was. Will we see another trap game is the question. Ottawa getting more confidence, but they've struggled to win uh, at home. What is going to be the key uh, in your matchup with the Red Blacks? 100% disrupt Nick Carbuckle. Uh, the biggest thing I think that we'll need to have is a quick start. If we have a fast start and establish ourselves in the beginning of the game, I think it's going to help us a lot going down the road. But Ottawa is one of those teams that as the game gets going, if they remain in the game, they continue to grow confidence. And so uh, this is the reason why I'm saying we need to have a good start against Ottawa. And no, absolutely not. This is not going to be, I think the trap game can only happen one time, especially if you lose the first game. So this game, I don't think it's going to be a trap game. We still have a bitter taste in our mouth from the last game that we played against them that we felt like we thought that we should have won and obviously ultimately ended up losing. So, uh, you know, this is, this is a big game for us. We are looking to uh, continue to put, you know, a brick on top of the other, a step in front of the other, and uh, continue to become a better and better team. I think that we're gelling better. We're becoming more and more, um, you know, a, a, a team 
uh, we're playing together and uh, uh, it's exciting to see and you can feel it, you can sense it in the locker room. We're, we're getting a lot closer together here in Toronto. And so uh, this is just another step in, 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 uh, you know, in our journey. And at the same time, we want to be able to see how many games we can put together that we can, you know, we can win in a row. So uh, Ottawa is definitely not a, a, a trap game for us at this very moment. As a matter of fact, like I said, we feel like uh, we own. Well, Saskatchewan probably feels the same way. Uh, they go to Winnipeg after letting a game slip uh, from their fingertips at home. They try to upset Winnipeg on the road. Well, it is a rivalry game, so it'll be interesting to see if Winnipeg, now that they've clinched, start to ease up a little bit and there's a trap game uh, for themselves. Uh, what are you intrigued about? Was Saskatchewan going to Winnipeg Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern? Absolutely. I think that the biggest thing for Saskatchewan, if they really want to have success, one is, first of all, sure up the front. Uh, they need to have an offensive line. Give uh, Fajardo a chance to be a true quarterback, to stand in the pocket, to you know allow him to read. They have their weapons back on offense. And if they're able to allow him three, four, five seconds in the pocket, I think that they'll have a better chance. But it, but the other thing, too, that I think is going to be extremely important, um, the run game. The run game in Saskatchewan, if they can establish that the early on into the game, I think that it's going to allow for Jaro to also be a little bit more relaxed and take a lot of pressure off of him. And when you look at the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, one of the guys that I've continuously say is one of their biggest X factors that we never talk enough about is Nick Dembski. And every time this guy steps on the field, he does nothing but make plays. And, 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 and a lot of the plays that he makes sometimes seem like, look like they're simple plays, but they're extremely difficult and high, um, uh, high level plays that he makes. And so, and I think of the, the, the pass that he caught against Saskatchewan uh, last week, it was a ball that was thrown. It wasn't extremely accurate from Zach Alaris, but it was exactly where it needed to be for Nick Dembski to catch. He had to look over his shoulder and relocate the ball in the air. And that looks simple, looks easy, but it's a lot harder to do in a game situation. And so Nick Dembski is one guy that they continuously have to get involved in the game. And he's a guy that is extremely versatile, a guy that, uh, you know, when used properly can be an, a huge problem for any defense because he can run the ball, he can run reverses, and he can also run deep balls, mid, you know, intermediate routes, as well as short routes. So he's that guy that can practically do anything for that team. And like I said, he's the biggest X factor that no one ever talks enough about. Yeah, and you mentioned him tracking the ball, making adjustments with the ball, in flight, making contested catches, uh, you know, making things happen at the top of his route. These are things that he's layered and added to his game over time. Remember, this is a man who is a converted running back. Yeah. He made the transition at the university level. Um, but early in his career, he's a guy who's catching bubble screens and quick slants and basically being a skilled position player that's a running back, get, getting the ball in space and making plays happen. Now he is a complete receiver and one of the best in the CFL. So you love to see his game Absolutely. continue to evolve, yeah. uh, you know, with, with, with hard work. Because uh, those things, you know, don't naturally come, being able to catch a ball in flight, yeah. change your body position, and, and work angles. 
And and even beyond that, DB man, he he's he's one of my favorite you know former teammates as well. I've played with him. I remember being a young guy in the CFL playing in Winnipeg, and he was playing for the Manitoba Bisons. I really want to give him his flowers because he's just that guy. He's a great individual, great player, and like you said, he's reached um, a level that a lot of people never really believed in um, uh, when it comes to his career. And we talked about careers and the course of careers for you know when we, we, we mentioned Zach Alaris, he's one of those guys as well that you got to look at. You know, it starts starting from his college career. He was out there and uh, he started as a running back, moved to a receiver, and he probably wasn't necessarily happy about changing positions when I think the arrival of Anthony Coombs out in University of Manitoba. But look at him now, right? It helped him to become the player that he is today. Now his versatility is his greatest asset and he's able to be, that dangerous receiver that is, um, you know, feared by every defense. And so I uh, want to make sure I give my boy ND10 his flowers today. Well, it's funny how uh, life works. You mentioned he's not happy that he's moved to receiver when Anthony Coombs uh, comes along. And by the time Anthony Coombs gets to the league, you know, Jim Barker takes him aside and said, hey, you know what? We can make you a Nick Dembski. We can make you a player exactly. who in the slot is making influential plays um, and, and has run after the catch. So, you know, you, you just got to take the situations as they come uh, and make the best of them. And, and now, you know, now executives are trying to go out and find guys to do what Nick Dembski is, is doing. Uh, so for sure, giving him his flowers, kudos to him. Uh, last game of the week, Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, Calgary goes to Edmonton and now Edmonton again, another team, the long uh, streak of losing at home. How sweet would it be if Edmonton finally ends that streak at home against the rivals uh, in Calgary and feel like three wins uh, in, in one game, but obviously a, a tough test. What are you looking forward to in the Battle of Alberta taking place in Edmonton? I'm looking for a fight. I'm looking for a fight out of the Elks. Um, you know, it's it's only up from here at this very moment. You know, uh, Chris Jones is going to do everything that he can, you know, in his power to throw uh, the kitchen sink at the uh, Calgary Stampeders. But at the same time, to me, from my perspective, I just believe in a little bit of consistency. You know, watching the game, you know, Suits was, was, was calling it, and he mentioned it multiple times how many different players happened to be on the field, started at various positions um, for the Edmonton Elks. And so um, it, it's always tough, you know, to be a consistent team and, and, and a successful team at that if you don't know who is going to be playing next to you next week. You don't know if the person that played with you last week is going to be the same guy or perhaps – if you are going to be playing the same position that you played the previous week. And so uh, to me, uh, that has a lot to do with the chemistry. That has a lot to do with um, success and consistency out there in Edmonton as well. They got to figure out exactly who they want where, and they got to stick to them. And the same conversation that we had about the quarterbacks, it's the same way that it goes for the other positions as well. You got to put the guys in the places that they need to be in. And once you put them there, give them a chance at least to grow through the pains and make some mistakes because at the end of the day, look, I don't, I've been playing for 11 years and I've never had a game where I haven't made one mistake. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's impossible to have a perfect game, but also you just need to learn how to play with the guys that are next to you. And to me, 
having to change every single player every week uh, is a little it's, – it's putting the whole team in a bad situation to try and win games. No question. And the last thing we'll do this week before uh, we let you go uh, is because we love to give flowers here. Uh, no one deserves flowers more uh, than Sarah Lesky who's done her last Labor Day Classic, last game on the sidelines before now, kind of like Serena Williams, a go in her own right and not necessarily retiring, but evolving and is moving into, you know, a really intriguing position with the Winnipeg Jets. Someone obviously, you know, CFL fans know from across the country, CFL players and coaches and executives know and appreciate, uh, but, but someone who, as you played in Winnipeg, you, you know, you were around her uh, quite a bit and, you know, Having done it a little bit, I can tell our listeners that being a sideline reporter, it's not easy. You're on the sidelines and everyone thinks essentially you're a spy. Uh, you know, there are people who do the job and essentially they do a couple hits based off things they read in the paper that week and make them sideline hits and, and, and don't do the, the grunt work. There's people who are looking for uh, information to update the viewer and the, and the play-by-play uh, and color analyst who are looking to provide not just analysis and context, but empathy to what's going on during the game. And, you know, not only did no one do it better in terms of how they communicated to the audience, but no one did it better in terms of the relationship they were able to build with, with the players, uh, with, with the men and women across the league. Uh, so, you know, from us here at the Waggle, because she's been a guest in the past, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be able to bother her soon uh, to get maybe a, her farewell perspective on her time uh, covering the CFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but hat tip and flowers to Sarah Lesky, the sideline uh, goat and OG who, um, you know, we'll definitely miss, but certainly cherish because there is a crop of sideline reporters that came up after her trying to do the same thing. Absolutely. I mean, Sarah Lesky is, is she, she's one of the best. She's a consummate professional. And you talk about the elite when it comes to sideline reporting and, um, you know, just the reputation that she has. Right. And, and there's a few reporters. Yes, DB, you fall on that list as well, that, um, do an amazing job, you know, are extremely professional. Um, you know, she's the type of person that, like you mentioned, extremely empathetic. And I had a chance in, I believe it was 17, we flew myself and a few uh, Canadian athletes, flew to Ukraine to support the Canadian forces. And then she was on that flight and I really got to know her the most there, uh, even though, you know, we spent a lot of time when I was playing for the Wimpe Blue Bombers together. Uh, but she is an amazing individual. Um, she cares beyond what she does for a living. And, um, you know, I'm extremely blessed and honored to, you know, I've been interviewed by her, but also just, um, you know, extremely happy to be able to give her her flowers here on the Waggle. Well, maybe we will uh, get the roles reversed and get her on the Waggle so you can interview her and put her in the hot seat. Uh, let us know I like it. who you want to hear from. Uh, we we got to get on that. Um, we do this for you, the listener and viewer, if you're on YouTube. Shout out. Uh, comment, hit us up in the mentions, like, favorite, share, subscribe. No matter where you're listening to this, we appreciate the support and the feedback. And let us know who you want to hear from and what you want to hear. This has been another edition of The Waggle. Thanks so much for listening.